look at Prop 8, right, where California had voted, a majority of Californians voted to ban same-sex marriages. And now a recent poll in California um, shows that 72% of Californians support marriage equality. And that is really due to the fact that folks came out, folks told their stories, folks, you know, within their own family said, you know, I, I have a gay son or I have a lesbian daughter or I'm a bi nephew, being able to share those stories so that it's not, again, we're not talking about the abstract, but rather it's someone that you know, that you care for, that uh, has come out to you in their own personal way. It's the human story, right? Welcome to the fourth installment of the Chapters podcast series. I'm your host, John Barrett Ingalls. In our chapter series, we focus on stories surrounding the exclusion, forced removal, and internment of Japanese Americans. But with all that is happening in our country right now, in this historic moment ripe with the potential for change and growth, we are expanding our scope and amplifying the voices of organizations and individuals who are trying to make a difference, who are standing at the convergence of art, education, and social justice. With this series, we honor those who have struggled and suffered in the past and question, how are we still here? How have we not come any further than this? In this episode, we connect with Tony Huang, Executive Director at Equality California. We discuss the history of the organization, as well as Tony's involvement with Equality California, starting in 2008 with the fight against Prop 8, banning same-sex marriage. We also look at where the organization is today, as a fight for recognition and representation continues. Tony, let's start with, with your story and your journey that led to this role at Equality California. Sure. Um, my story is uh, I was actually born and raised in Houston, Texas. Grew up there um, all the way through high school, um, but made my way west to Los Angeles. I went to the University of Southern California um, at the time, I was studying international relations, and uh, you know, while I was growing up, I always thought I was going to do more international relations, foreign policy, um, diplomacy, and sort of stumbled upon the LGBTQ rights uh, movement. Uh, you know, I'd always been uh, politically inclined, uh, volunteered in a number of Democratic campaigns, but at the time, uh, this was actually freshman end of freshman year, um, was slated to go to Mexico uh, on a research project to study remittance payments. Um, and at the time, a swine flu actually broke out um, and the university canceled uh, the research project. And I was scrambling to find an internship um, and stumbled upon an opportunity from Equality California at the time. Uh, the context uh, in this moment was that California had just recently passed Proposition 8 uh, for this those who don't remember, that was the ballot measure that uh, banned same-sex marriages in the state of California. And so the organization, uh, among others, were um, planning to go back on the ballot. Um, and so there was a pretty broad uh, public education campaign throughout the state. Um, and so I interned uh, as an organizer, uh, going door-to-door uh, across South and East LA, talking to strangers about why same-sex couples should get um, the right to marry. That sort of started my own personal journey. Actually, wasn't even out at the time uh, of that. Um, and so the irony of just going to complete strangers uh, across Los Angeles County, talking about LGBTQ rights, uh, sort of pushed my own <laughs> internal journey up. And following uh, that summer, I ended up coming out to a broader group of friends and family. Um, and 
I'm one of the, sort of the few uh, millennials that I uh, sort of kept on that. Um, and so uh, actually had started at Equality California as a full-time organizer after I graduated um, and have been with the organization for about 20, about 13 years now um, at this point. Um, and so my role uh, currently is the executive director for the organization. Uh, been in this role for about a year and a half, overseeing sort of all functions and interfacing with the board and external partners to ensure to continue the great work that we do um, through our legislative advocacy, our public education campaigns, and our electoral politics. What was that experience of uh, having this this advocacy role and dealing with your 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 own identity and in that honesty within yourself? I mean, I think I think that's so fascinating. Did you feel? empowered because of what you were fighting for to be able to like really um not just accept but like speak out the truth of of your yourself and your identity it it, it was definitely sort of an internal conflict that was happening the sort of the cognitive dissonance that that you know i was finding the strength to go to complete strangers and door-to-door talk about um you know, uh, civil rights for my own community that I actually wasn't, you know, fully open um, about uh, my sexual orientation to, you know, the closest folks that love me. Um, and so it, it was a strange tension that, you know, I think allowed me to sort of push forward and, and allowed me to really embrace the work that, you know, this was really seeing how tangible these one-on-one conversations um, could have to really shape and shift public opinion and, and that, um, you know, I could do this work for a career um, and fighting for my own community and those that are close to me uh, and really helping sort of push change across the state of California. And so as crazy as it seems looking back on it, that, um, you know, I sort of stumbled upon in, uh, stumbled into this, um, you know, the fact that somewhere in particular going across door to door to random neighborhoods, I mean, I think really sort of set me on the path that I am on today with Equality California. Will you talk about the history? We're a little uh, over two decades for Equality California. Will you give us a little bit of the history of the organization and and how it's evolved over the past 20 years? Yeah, I mean, so Equality California has existed since 1999. Uh, Next, we're actually celebrating our 25th anniversary. Um, You know, the initial name around this uh, was actually called CAPE, the California Alliance for Pride and Equality. But, you know, this was the the precursor, an organization that really brought the place where California is today, the state with the strongest sets of civil rights protections. But back in 1999, you know, that definitely was not the case. You know, this was the state that, you know, passed a number, or tried to pass a number of anti-LGBTQ ballot measures, you know, not just with Prop 8, but the Briggs Initiative um, in the early 2000s. Um, you know, harking back even prior to that, um, prior to the organization start, where we had, you know, the HIV AIDS crisis, where we had Anita Bryant coming to California, um, pushing um, discriminatory ballot measures, banning um, uh, the right for um, LGBTQ teachers to teach in the classrooms. And so, um, you know, I, I think people think uh, that California uh, has always been a, a place of um, progressive politics and acceptance, but this was also the birthplace of Reagan um, uh, and, you know, the Orange County and the place where, you know, folks had never been accepted. And so um, Cape and then Equality California was really the bedrock that allowed 
um, these civil rights protections to push forward. Um, you know, this started with, you know, key non-discrimination bills, you know, updating um, the Unruh Civil Rights Act to include sexual orientation and gender identity. You know, the organization um, was fighting for marriage, you know, in, in the early mid 2000s. But while they were doing that, also pushing through, you know, non-discrimination protections that were inclusive of the trans community um, in all facets of public life. Um, and so, you know, we are lucky due to the giants um, on whose shoulders we stand on, um, whether that be folks at Equality California, where, whether it be, you know, our allies and LGBTQ elected officials in the state legislature, Equality California has been able to pass over 175 bills to date uh, in the state capitol, allowing California to be the state with the strongest sets of civil rights protections. But as we all know, there's still more work to be done. Um, so year after year, we work with our partners in the California legislature and our partners in Sacramento to push forward um, an annual legislative package. And so right now um, we are in the middle of that legislative session. We have uh, upwards of 10 plus bills that we're working on along with a constitutional uh, amendment that we're really excited to push forward, um, at least at the state level. Additionally, we also work at the federal level. Um, I think you know, uh, Congress's composition uh, has changed uh, over the past year. And so really working with our national policy director to play defense and really pushing back on some of the hate that our opponents are pushing at the federal levels. Just earlier this week, there was a national anti-LGBTQ bill um, that was passed, you know, really playing the red herring uh, card in terms of protecting women in various facets of life, as well as, uh, you know, parental rights, you know, but really we know what they're trying to do. They're trying to erase LGBTQ people and trans people specifically. Um, and so, you know, um, as part of uh, the playbook that we're doing is really pushing back with the broad California delegation where we have so many strong allies from California to push back in these hearings uh, and on the floor. Yeah. You know, we always have here in, in California this uh, notion or, or uh, concept that we are this progressive liberal state. Uh, but like you said, there are, there have always been challenges and pushback. Uh, what are some of the obstacles and, and challenges for LGBTQ rights and equality that still exist here or, or that have developed over the past 20 years? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, especially as we talk with our colleagues across the country, California is its own country. <laughs> it, 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 you know, obviously, um, there are very different pockets of California. When we think about um, California people, when we think about San Francisco or Los Angeles, um, but we also have places like Fresno, um, Kern County, Bakersfield, um, the Inland Empire, Orange County, um, you know, far north, you know, um, all the way to the far south. And so, um, especially as we think about services and just broader acceptance uh, in, a, you know, all these communities across the state, we know they're varied. Um, and so how do we, as the statewide LGBTQ plus civil rights organization, ensure that we make sure that all members of the LGBTQ plus community feel full lived equality in all facets of their lives. Um, and we know uh, the places that have been historically underserved um, don't have that. And so how do we continue to affect change using all the levers that we have available to us to, to push forward that change? I'd love to talk about the, the concept of intersectionality um, and, and the work uh, 
to to find the intersection of LGBTQ plus rights and say immigrant rights or, or homelessness, uh, racial justice. Is there partnerships that you create with other organizations to, to find that? Yeah, I think one thing that is unique about the LGBTQ plus community is that we are part of every single community, right? right. Um, and when we think about sort of full lived equality, we have to look at all the identities that our community holds. So whether that's um, from you know women's organizations, whether it's from immigrants' rights organizations, whether it's um, about uh, racial justice organizations, when we think about you know who is disproportionately affected um, uh, around discrimination, you know, when, and you're, you're compounding from the layers of you know an LGBT person who is an immigrant who is a person of color, um, you know, sort of um, the contacting factors around that. And so, you know, we know that we're not going to win until we all win together. And so part of our work is building those alliances. Um, you know, we are lucky that we fit at a number of tables um, uh, uh, that work in an intersectional faction. And so having partnerships with Maldef and Churla from the immigrants' rights community, whether that's partnerships with NARAL and Planned Parenthood, when we talk about reproductive justice, um, you know, uh, Asians Americans Advancing Justice, the NAACP, you know, these are all organizations that we have to work with, you know, whether it's supporting their legislative priorities, whether that's uh, in ensuring that we're working together on broad public education campaigns. So that our campaigns are culturally competent, uh, particularly uh, in the diverse communities that California serves. Um, you know, that is an important uh, way, that's the only way that we're going to push forward in terms of full lived equality for LGBTQ plus folks. And so for us, that, that's how we know we have to do the work, especially in, in such a diverse state like the state of California. Yeah, it's kind of this concept of rising tides raising all ships, right? Um, to, to be truly progressive and equitable, all these issues must be addressed, uh, whether it's reproductive rights, like you said, or health equity, environmental justice, racial justice. Um, but it's this, this concept of intersectionality or, or, or solidarity is, is, is somewhat of a, a, a new thing in social justice. And it feels like in the past 60, 70 years, marginalized communities have kind of been siloed in their fight um and it it makes it easier to pit groups against one another um so i mean we're here now but let's talk a little bit about how we got to this place of of seeking solidarity and working together and what challenges we still face with that yeah, I mean, I think that's that's a great point. I, you know, I think when we step back and think about sort of who, who are our opponents, right? The same folks um, that are attacking LGBTQ folks are attacking voting rights, right? That are attacking reproductive justice. And so, you know, uh, the LGBTQ community is a relatively new political movement, right? You know, there was the Lavender Scare um, and, and government sort of uh, you know, either outing folks or, or you know, pushing them underground. And then you have moments like the Stonewall riots and sort of, you know, folks that help galvanize the LGBTQ community and then sort of moving forward to the AIDS crisis that really combined even LGBTQ, right? Where we had, you know, um, lesbian women coming and, and sort of caring for dying gay men. 
um, you know, sort of these moments and times that began to help consolidate folks. Um, but we've always had some intersectionality, right? When you think about, you know, the March in Washington with the civil rights movement where you had Bayard Rustin, um, you know, one of the key leaders leading that march was a gay man um, that understood intersectionality. Um, and so, you know, as we look uh, in the years ahead, especially as, you know, our opponents have been successful in sort of dividing and conquering and saying, well, you only care about this issue, you're not going to care about this issue. We know, especially given, you know, unfortunately, the regression that that, that has felt um, pretty acutely, you know, over the past number of years, the only way that we're going to push back um, against our opponents is continuing to stand in solidarity and continuing to stand up for all each other's fights, not when it's convenient, uh, but when it's tough. But, you know, I think one thing that's been heartening to, to see, especially as, you know, uh, the attacks that are happening across the country around our youth, um, seeing our allies come up and, and step up and speak out uh, in this moment because, you know, our opponents is currently going after the most vulnerable, trans youth. Um, and, you know, it, they're going to they're gonna pick on them first, but, you know, they're not going to be the last, right? And so... Um, uh, we understand in this moment of time that it's going to continue to take solidarity to continue to play defense and push forward um, with its current attack. Yeah, I wanted to talk about the youth. I have a a 14-year-old daughter, and it's it's been kind of the consensus of, of parents my age uh, or with children uh, my daughter's age that there's almost this exponential increase in identifying on the LGBTQ plus spectrum, uh, especially from when we were teens. Um, and there's a high number of this uh, uh, understanding of, uh, or, or identifying as non-binary or, or trans in, in our kids' peer group. Do you think that this is a product of, of societal acceptance or exposure, or, or is this do you notice this this increase in in young people and in, in how they identify? Yeah, I, I mean, you know, you can see it for, from the surveys that come out on an annual basis, where um, you know LGBTQ youth um, are identifying higher and higher. You know, for us, that's a, a few reasons. One is just you know more inclusion and acceptance of queer kids um, uh, across the country, right? You know. Um, it, it is good the fact that um, as folks are coming out, that they're feeling accepted um, to be their authentic selves, whether it's in the home, whether it's in the schools or the, their broader social networks. Um, in addition, uh, you know, there, there's just broader representation. Folks are able to see themselves in pop culture, in entertainment. Um, you know, I think when you think about 20 years ago, who were the LGBTQ people on, on screen? You know, there was Ellen. Right. You know, there was there was only one or two people that people identified with that may not be a person of color. They may that may not be a trans person, and so you know, uh, as media continues to evolve, where you have different types of folks being represented in the public sphere, it allows folks to identify with that person and, and giving words and, and meaning to what that feeling that they felt. Um, you know, I know there's there's a stream of thought for folks that are out there saying, well, um, you know, because I think this dovetails into an attack line from our opponents of um, 
that's folks are indoctrinating them. Right. There, there have always been, there's always, there've always been LGBTQ folks, right? I think now we're at a point where folks are able to feel more acceptance and inclusion uh, in their com- in their communities, allowing them to come to terms with their identity um, and being able to verbalize that. Right. Um, yeah, I think if if that weren't the case, you know, I did not grow up with the queer representation, right? I grew up in a fairly conservative um, culture, um, and I still, you know, I knew I was gay, and I, I, I didn't know how to, to come to terms with that. And so for us, it's continuing to fight for the right for folks to feel comfortable in their own skins uh, and coming out on their own terms in whatever whatever form um, that means to them. Is, is there work that you do for like a public education or 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 understanding? I mean, I, I would imagine uh, for anybody on the LGBTQ plus scale, but definitely for for someone who's who's trans or, or non-binary, the the confusion of what they must go through in their experience is also mirrored in the confusion of what their their family and, and friends are, are trying to understand. So is there a, a, a public education uh, platform to, to help understand the, the, the science, the psychology, the, 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 emotional experience behind uh what that experience is yeah i mean you know obviously we've been involved in some of those uh public education campaigns you know we a number of years ago did uh, a broad statewide campaign called transform california uh working with a number of coalition groups um uh you know statewide psas doing a lot of in-language ads specifically um in spanish-speaking um and various api uh, communities um, to really to just show visibility. You know, I think um, I think why their why our opponents are so effective sometimes um, attacking trans and gender nonconforming folks is that a lot of folks don't know somebody that identifies publicly as trans or gender nonconforming, um, and so in that absence of knowing someone uh, personally uh, from that community. Um, they can fill that void with the worst of the worst from our opponents, right? And so for us, it's ensuring that we continue to have um, public um, figures um, that they that they at least have interacted with or, or seen that identifies as trans or gender nonconforming, and show that they're just like you or you or I um, with a, a different gender identity. And so being able to uplift that more. Uh, in various forums, I think is really important. I think, you know, harking back again to, you know, the last fight, right, around marriage equality, where, you know, 20 years ago, or, you know, look at Prop 8, right, where, um, you know, California had voted, a majority of Californians voted to ban same-sex marriages. And now, a recent poll in California um, shows that 72% of Californians support marriage equality. And that is really due to the fact that folks came out, folks told their stories, Folks, you know, um, within their own family say, you know, I I have a gay son or I have a lesbian daughter or I'm a bi nephew. Being able to share those stories so that it's not, again, we're not talking about the abstract, but rather it's someone that you know, that you care for, that, you know, has come out to you um, in their own personal way. It's the human story. It's the human story, right? And so for us, it's continuing to do that. Um, And, you know, especially in the schools, when we talk about our youth, 
you know, in conjunction with our partners at, you know, the Trevor Project or Glisten, you know, having those resources available, one thing that we're, you know, continuing to work on is, you know, the schools, it's hard being a kid, right? And you, you go through a lot of things as an adolescent and it's already confusing. And as you layer in, um, you know, coming to terms with your own sexual orientation or gender identity, how do we ensure that, you know, our teachers, school administrators have those resources so that when they're able to recognize that, provide a student with those resources in a, in a respectful way, right? Um, and so that, that folks know that those resources are available um, and not just the students themselves, but the parents, right? You know, thinking to my own, you know, coming out stories, it's a journey process for everybody. And so how do we ensure that in a particularly vulnerable time, you know, folks are able to access those resources, whether it's for the student, whether it's for the parents, whether it's for the administrators or teachers overall. Now, what would you say is your hope for progress in California with regards to uh, LGBTQ plus rights over the next 20 years? You know, I, when people ask this, like, you know, for us, we, we want to make our work irrelevant, right? We want to have it be a day where coming out as LGBTQ isn't an issue, right? Where it's um, almost more it, like a celebration. It, exactly, where you know folks aren't uh, facing discrimination because of their sexual orientation or gender identity. But unfortunately, we know that our opponents are going to continue to to push back um, and to try to roll back, you know, the hard fought victories that we've fought for over the past twenty five years. Um, I think it's particularly acute for us now because where we have friends um, in at Play Parenthood, right? Where, you know, you had Roe v. Wade exist for 40 plus years where people believe that that was a right. Um, but unfortunately with one Supreme Court decision, removing that right where half the country now do not does not have access to re reproductive care. And so for us, it's moving to that place where, you know, we can have full lived equality, but also remain vigilant because Unfortunately, we know that our opponents will never stop attacking us. And so we have to make sure that we have, you know, a vibrant um, statewide LGBTQ plus civil rights organization to, to continue to lift up and support our community as a whole in all corners of the state. Yeah, this um, last six years, I would say, uh, have brought a lot of fears of, of, of rights that, that people thought were um uh, secured and and safe um kind of now have like a, a a vague outline to them uh has this last 6 years made your work a lot more challenging yes um, i mean yeah uh, to your point you know i think i think you know movement organizations knew there was always more work to be done and we had to continue to move the ball forward. I think the broader public at times, I think when, you know, he had these string of Supreme Court decisions around marriage happen, people felt the LGBT community has it all. We knew that wasn't the case where you know, half the country could still be fired because of their sexual or sexual orientation or gender identity. But I think in particularly over the past six years where the attacks have ramped up very significantly, where to the extent you know, you are having state legislatures pretty much ban the existence of trans people. You know, that had never been done. You know, 
we were talking about a few years ago, you know, allowing, um, you know, trans students to use facilities and, and, and you know, join sports programs um, that correspond with their gender identity. But we have moved hyperspeed ahead in terms of the attacks where now you're having, you know, governors talk about pulling away trans kids from their families because they are trying to access life-saving, gender-affirming care, where you're having, you know, threatening doctors with felonies because they're trying to give youth gender-affirming care that is age-appropriate. You know, the, the, the rhetoric has really ramped up, um, and unfortunately, it's having real-life impacts, whether it's around, you know, uh, high rates of suicide uh, ideations and attempts, whether that's, um, you know, um, increased rates of discrimination, uh, not just in the states that it's happening, but it's obviously seeping into the national discourse across the country. And so for us, it's how do we, you know, uh, work in coalition to really push back on this because the attacks are escalating um, and I think are only going to get worse ahead of the presidential election where we know our community is going to be a, a wedge issue on that. And so for us, it's, it's continuing to remain vigilant and pushing back against the hate that is out there. Is there anything you'd like to share before we finish? Anything else? No, I just appreciate you giving us an opportunity to talk a little bit about the work and really, um, you know, gratifying that you're thinking about these issues uh, at an intersectional uh, level. Because again, you know, I don't think that we have any shot of, of winning unless we all stand together against the hate that that exists. We want to thank Tony Huang and Equality California for more information. Visit eqca.org. Chapters Podcast was produced by Past Forward and made possible with support from Chapman University and California Civil Liberties Public Education Program, a state funded grant project of the California State Library. For more information, visit passforward.org, chapman.edu, and library.ca.gov.